This is an ABC podcast. Well, I don't believe it. Here we are, my friends. We have landed at episode number 50 of the Sammy J Snack Pack. That's the sound of one J clapping. I'm clapping for you. Thank you very much to everyone who has been tuning in. Podcasts are a bit of a strange one-way conversation. I talk, and then at a time of your choosing, you listen. But I'm genuinely grateful. So thanks for sticking around. 50 episodes in. If you're just getting on board the Snack Pack Wagon, don't worry. There's 49 other episodes for you to enjoy. You can go back through, subscribe, tell your friends, all the rest of it. But you know what? We're not going to sit here and pat ourselves on the back. We're not going to sit here and take up too much time being self-congratulatory because we have got some special treats coming your way. It's the 30th anniversary of The Late Show, the seminal Australian sketch show that launched so many careers, and Jane Kennedy will be joining me shortly to pay tribute to that beautiful period of time in Australian television history. And you know what? What's it like to win the Miles Franklin Literary Award? I don't know, but Jennifer Down does because she's just gone done it. And she'll be having a chat as well. Plus, reverse heists. Not taking something from a museum or a gallery, but sneaking in and putting something there. That's what we're going to be chatting about as well. Alongside hearing some beautiful tales of school excursions to Wrongtown. Because I was chatting to some mates the other day. We're coming up towards our school reunion soon. And we're remembering all the school excursions we went on where, well, let's just say, hmm, things didn't quite go to plan, or, hmm, people behaved badly, or, hmm, teachers were caught doing things they shouldn't. You know what I mean? All I'm saying is it was a different time back then, and we might share a few of those tales as well, here on episode number 50 of the Sammy J Snack Pack. Our teacher took us to an excursion mm-hmm. to the old Ansel condom factory in Richmond. We don't have enough time for all the questions I want to ask you, but I will just start by asking what the reaction of the students was when it was announced that you were heading to the condom factory for an excursion. Oh, it was 1980. I don't think... We, no one batted an eyelid. Now, growing up in the 90s, I had two VHS tapes that were practically worn thin from playing them too much. One was Monty Python's Life of Brian and the other was my sister's copy of the best bits of The Late Show. The Late Show, that seminal Australian sketch comedy show that gave us so many characters and sketches that we still quote to this day. Graham and the Colonel, piss-weak world. Like a tiger, shit-scared, Joan Kerner singing a song. I mean, I could go on and on, and I will. It was a show that shaped the sense of humour of so many people growing up in that era, and it launched 30 years ago this week here on our ABC. So to celebrate that... What a thrill to welcome to the Snack Pack founding member and star of The Late Show, Jane Kennedy. Jane, welcome. 30 years on, why are we still talking about The Late Show? No idea. (laughs) Um, And especially when the show went to air, at the time, the critics um, in the major newspapers, uh, The the Age and The Herald Sun at the time, were so harsh about it. So harsh. In fact... They not only said that the show was dreadful, they actually went as far as to say, do not watch this show. <laughs> and, and I think everybody was a bit irked because it was on our ABC and it was all the talk of where's your eight cents a day going mm. to this show. And But that just sort of was a red rag to a bull to us, I think. Hence what? we did, you know, my favourite, one of my favourite sketches was a promo we did for the ABC and it was, we're still number four. 
before. It had a great run off the back of the 90th celebrations a few weeks ago online. That's right. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it did. Are people, are people still referencing the show to you all these years on? In strange places, even overseas, is, is the recognition of the late show, obviously I know it goes on for fans, but out there in the general community? I, I, I think so, yes, in a really lovely way. Uh, it's not something that we think about every day, but and it's obviously been brought to our attention because it's 30 years um, since it was on air. But um, I think with a lot of Rob's impressions um, and a lot of the, you know, doing the musical mix-ups with Joan Kerner when she was such a great sport to do mm-hmm. I Love Rock and Roll. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was a crazy time working <laughs> with people who just really had no idea about music at all or singing and uh, trying to get them to perform. (laughs) You had some amazing wins there. There was one fish that got away. You wanted to get Yarn Event on, didn't you? I did, yes. Mm. That was, look, we were really, really close, I think. And, um, you know, I think I did record a version of Smells Like Teen Spirit for her and we sent it. And, in fact, somebody asked me the other day, I wonder if that tape still exists. I'm sure people don't need to hear me singing Smells Like Teen Spirit, but I think we just were so keen to have Mick Malloy and Tony Martin say, um, and now would you please welcome Nirvana? Oh, I thought you said Yana. <laughs> but we did pretty well. You did pretty damn well. I'm chatting to Jane Kennedy, celebrating 30 years since the Late Show kicked off. You all started together, Jane, um, as part of the DJ in the 80s, and you've all gone to do so many different things. Obviously, Frontline, Martin Malloy, all the working dog shows that have come since how important do you think late show was in in that career trajectory for all of you like do you think those things would have happened anyway in in different forms or on different timelines or was the late show really the the nucleus for some of that creative energy that's a really interesting question sammy because we'd already come from a radio background before we did television and so i think and we're all we're a group of friends so it wasn't um like some television programmer plucked us all out of um, NIDA and Whopper and other sort of various institutes Mm -hmm. and put us randomly together. So, and also the guys had done um, reviews at uni, which you're involved in as Mm -hmm. well. So you know that there's something organic there. I have a feeling we probably would have done something together, but, and because I don't think we all got enormous profiles from the late show at the time. It was only afterwards that when people reminisced about the show, that it's had this lingering <laughs> profile. It's bizarre. And as you say, it was only on for two years. You've just touched on a point that I've just, and I feel almost weird now talking to you directly because I've, I've used that as an example for so many years uh, when talking about comedy in general. And I've been, I guess, the you know, in, put in the unfortunate position many times more than I'd like of being <laughs> thrown together by producers in into situations <laughs> with others where the writers oh. don't even meet the cast. And I always say, well, the only truly successful comedy shows coming out of Australia have been when groups of friends have organically got together and built something up and and overseas as well. And it seems like people struggle to learn that lesson time and time again. But I always use uh, Working Dog as the prime example of people who who were friends and it was a natural progression. Well, I think you're friends because you're drawn together by the same interests and humour. And and I think any advice, you know, if people come to us all the time and say, well, how do I get started what I do? And my advice always is to people is if you can, collaborate. Find your peeps. Find your soulmates and, and people who are um, have the same sense of humour. And I, I would find – I think it's incredibly difficult to do things on your own. So it's amazing, you know, to, to be able to find some people to sort of collaborate with. 
Well, we are all the very happy beneficiaries of your people who you oh, found thank you. all those years ago, uh, Jane Kennedy. What a thrill. So good to chat. Thanks, Sammy. Bye. Jane Kennedy, 30 years since the late show. You all know it. You all love it. If you don't, get on YouTube, watch the episodes, watch the sketches. In fact, you know what? As a little treat, just have a listen to a snatch of Piss Week World. At Piss Week World Fun Park, there's just so much to do. Get dizzy. Take a ride on our rotor. Visit our Hall of Mirrors. Roll down a slope. How about a round of mini golf? Test your aim and win a prize. Or just test it for revenge. It's all at Piss Week World, where the name says it all. This is the Sammy J Snack Pack. We were on the way to a school camp and we stopped at a, a winery and went on a tour of the cellar. And at the end, there was tasting for the teachers. Well, you just all stood around waiting for the teachers to get sloshed. I think we had grape juice or something. Dean, where have you been? Uh, we were sent off to a tobacco farm, <laughs> which blows my mind reflecting back on this. When was this? Well, this would have been around 84, 85. I so... swear, sorry, Chris, I've got to say, all the stories are coming out of the 80s, something about that decade. <laughs> Wineries, tobacco farms, but yes, tobacco farms. I have this memory of putting together a project book, an excursion book and sticking down tobacco leaves and talking about the manufacturing process and saying when I think back on it. Amanda, don't tell me this is the 80s again because the 80s have got a lot to answer for if that's the case. I have to say it is in the 80s. We went to um, Bathurst yeah. for a school excursion um, and we had this rogue lead-footed um, coach driver who thought it'd be fun to go on the racetrack. Started off slowly, but then he got really excited and was flying around the racetrack skidding and kids were crying and <laughs> terrified. I just remember the teachers trying to get to the front to speak to him and uh, I'm sure there were some kids that were finding it fun, but it, a big coach flying around the racetrack is kind of terrifying. Oh, it's going really fast. You're listening to the Sammy J Snack Pack. I know you're all generous people out there. I know only nice, giving people choose to listen to this podcast. We're a special club. But how giving are you? Like, would you actually go into a gallery or library or museum and give them something instead of just take, 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 want, want, want? Because that's what one man has chosen to do with his viral videos online of reverse heists liam bedford over there in the uk is that have i described it properly yeah so yes yeah, is exactly almost what it sounds like it's like instead of taking something off the wall or doing something that is a bit too naughty how about taking something in there and giving a gift to the museum and or the the venue and leaving something for them which can be viewed by anyone who goes in now, plain sight is an understatement because you don't just do it in plain sight. You're a TikTok sensation with some of the work you've been doing. Where did it all start for you? Well, I've been uploading YouTube videos and stuff online for a few years now. And I've kind of loved this idea of kind of just like pranking people, but always like punching upwards and never punching down. And I kind of saw the museums as like a fun target. And a few other people had done things similar, but I kind of just wanted to kind of put like an online spin on it so yeah i've targeted three different places this year um one being madame two swords the other two being um the transport museum and the football museum and and yeah kind of just going like that 
Let's work our way backwards because Madame Tussauds, I imagine, was uh, the most spectacular uh, reverse <laughs> yeah. heist. But what do you do in a football museum? So in the football museum, I, I got a signed photo of uh, TikTok sensation Carl the Dragon. And he signed like this little uh, photo of himself. I put that in like a nice frame that matched some of the frames in this football museum, which is in Manchester. And paid for my ticket, walked in there, did like scoped around, worked out what the security was like, tried to see where the best place it could fit on the wall. And then nicely crafted frame, signed picture, just put onto the wall alongside all of the other portraits that are on the wall. How did you stick it to the wall? Because you can't like loudly nail a hammer into the wall. No, there was no hammering. No, there was no vandalism. It was like a double-sided, like, uh, like not tape, but I guess one of those like wall mount that you can pull off. So yeah. I already got it prepared and bagged. And run you... towards the to the toilets, get it all prepared. What's the enjoyment for you then? Do you stay around, or do you get straight out once you've done it and then pop back a week later to see if it's still there? Yeah, you've got to stay around and you've got to encourage them to look at it and get photos of it. That's the fun bit when they just start to think that it's like there. So you've got people taking. photos of it or just yeah just making it feel like it belongs and just seeing it can stay up there for and every time i've done it like other than one would come on to adam two swords one it's just people just see it and just feel like it's supposed to be there i'm chatting to liam bedford tiktok star for his reverse heist that is putting things into museums and galleries rather than taking them out so before we get to the madam two swords uh liam have you had responses from these places how long have your pieces normally last is that one still uh hanging where you placed it or where you stuck it i'd I'd be surprised if it's still there to be fair and i haven't found out if it is but i also didn't see anything online about whether they took it down or they spotted it um other yeah and then the madam two swords one which we uh, they were aware straight away Okay, so let's let's go to that one because that was um, yeah. you're a TikTok star, but so is Hezbollah, who's actually coming to Australia later. A massive online star. You created a full what life size waxwork imitation of Hezbollah. Yeah, it was just shy of life size. I think he stands at just above three foot, and it was like just below three foot. But yeah, the waxworks they they cost a lot to make, which I found out during the research process. <laughs> so I was like, how can I do this uh, on a budget? And um, so I got like a 3D model of his face printed and um, like some Italian man had got already made a model. I bought that off him, got someone to print it for me, got it professionally painted by one of my friends. This has already sent me back quite a bit of money already at this point. <laughs> I've bought I've bought a mannequin and I've attached the head to the mannequin and I've clothed him from I don't know. Do you have Primark in Australia? Mm. We have Primark over here. It's just like a very cheap like clothes shop. And mm-hmm. because um, at this point I was like, OK. I need to get the budget down. Um, so we've got, I've got like a 600 pound in the end, 700 pound, like a uh, little wax work uh, made of him. Well, figure made of him. Um, and I think it looks pretty good to be fair. And what, I mean, I imagine Madame Tussauds would be very, very specific about the people they allow or the, the models that they have. So that would have lasted, what, all of 20 seconds, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, for a start, I didn't know if I was going to be able to get it in there. That was one of the main sole purposes that I went for for Hasbulla because I knew it would be easier to sneak in than a than a six foot figure. <laughs> and as as we got it in, it was it. He stood up, and lots of tourists took photos with him. And I think people liked the idea of taking photos with someone who was a bit smaller as well. And it was really good for the kids that were there. And also, he's such a big name nowadays. Obviously, that like. People knew and he was recognisable instantly. So people were taking photos. People were loving it. 
Um, but yeah, as soon as security caught glimpse of it, I, I actually got it in the video that I made, but the security said, I wasn't aware that we had Hasbullah, as if at first they, were, <laughs> they weren't they 100% sure it was fake or not. So we obviously did it well enough to just about trick them, but yeah, and word got round and... We, we, I wanted to take that home with me this time instead of leaving it there. I'd spent so much money on him and I'd gained such a bond with the little figure that I was like, I need to try and get him out of here. So I technically heisted my own reverse heist that day <laughs> so as well. Did you ever get a response from Hasbullah? Was, was he aware of what you'd done? Has, as far as I'm aware, Hasbullah isn't. He may have seen it. I don't know. It's racked up quite a few views on TikTok now, but <laughs> no, nothing has been said as of it. But Madam Two Swords were aware, however. And uh, does that mean you've been banned from entering again, or they did they get on board the spirit? <laughs> they, uh, I, I don't know how much I can say, but they 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 took it they took it better than I hoped. Well, so you know, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> and here we are, all around the world, talking about Madame Tussauds. So it seems like everyone wins in this arrangement. Yeah, exactly. Promo for all, eh? <laughs> Liam Bedford, if people want to see your videos, they can jump on TikTok, look up Liam Bedford. They're very entertaining and, dare I say, except for maybe a mark on a wall here or there, a pretty victimless uh, crime. Thanks for the chat and all the okay. best for the next heist. No, I appreciate it, mate. Stacey, what happened? Where did you go on a school excursion? Hi, Sammy. Um, my dad worked at the sugarcane mill in Broadwater in northern New South Wales, so we went there for an excursion where we were allowed to climb the mountains of raw sugar and slide down like uh, a slippery dip, which we call it from New South Wales. Um, and so consequently, we were, you know, our short uniform dresses were covered in it and our undies were full of it. So it was an uncomfortable bus ride home. Stacey, what year was this? This was certainly in the 80s. Oh. I'd say about 1987. <laughs> So anyone who yes. bought a bag of sugar in the 80s should be aware that school kids were just rolling around in it before it got put in the packet? Well, I've asked my dad since, and he said he can't even remember it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm sure it does not happen now. I do not think the children are allowed to run around it through there anymore. <laughs> we're also allowed to, to drink the molasses from the big pipe that was basically just draining them. <laughs> so <laughs> Being wasted. The Snack Pack. Now, any artist will know you don't create work to win awards. You create work because you love creating work. But you know what? If you're going to win an award and you're a writer in Australia, there is no greater award than the Miles Franklin Literary Prize. And that is exactly what our next guest on the Snack Pack has won. Jennifer Downs' novel, Bodies of Light, has gone all the way. Welcome to the Snack Pack, Jennifer, and massive congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I tried to sort of hint at this in my intro, but but how does it feel to you as far as, you know, awards in the arts can be a vexed thing? But of course, this is such a, a, a huge and hopefully a bit of a life-changing moment. Oh, it's absolutely life-changing. And look, like I, you know, as you say, uh, awards are kind of a complex thing and, and you know, we, we could spend hours talking about it probably, but um, but just in terms of, uh, yeah, recognition, getting mm-hmm. getting your book out there, it's... Um, and not you know not just winning the the Miles Franklin, but for for all the writers on the short list and long list, it's um, incredible exposure, and it's it's really lovely to feel recognised as well. How did you mark the moment when you discovered that you had uh, won the prize? Um, I was actually it was very like unromantic. I was uh, in a hotel room and I was on a work call when I when I was re- like a work Zoom when I received the phone call, and I thought it was like I don't know the blood bank calling me to schedule a donation or or something <laughs> like that. Um, so I wasn't really in a hurry to phone back. But then I, I got the message, and I was, um, I was, yeah, I was quite literally speechless. When the blood bank calls now, I think your line is, "You couldn't afford me." Yeah, exactly, exactly. You have to pay me for my plasma <laughs> these days, buddy. Hey, uh, 
Are your copywriting days over? Of course, that's you know uh, one of the many uh, jobs you've done to, to make money. Does this give you a little more time, space, money to, to focus on your next creation? I mean, yeah, I'm still deciding what happens next. I, you know, I, I do enjoy um, much of what I do as a freelancer. I, I do get to do some really creative stuff and and um, and research things I wouldn't think about otherwise. But um, it's it's more just security. Like I've spent, um, without putting too fine a point on it, mm-hmm. most writers would know. You know, I spent most of my my twenties in financial precarity and and doing you know, earning very little money in often quite exploitative situations. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it sounds maybe really boring or, or, I don't know, prosaic, but even to know that I can put this in super or have a bit of savings behind me for, you know, if something goes wrong, um, it, it's a huge deal, yeah. Um, well, not boring or prosaic at, at all. And, and the, the life of a, an artist, a creator, an author is such a struggle so much of the time. At only 31 years old now, you've taken out the Miles Franklin winner. The book, of course, is bodies of light. Jennifer, when you now look back, does this at all uh, influence how you you would look back on this book? Of course, it's the same book, but can you reconnect more with the struggles, the challenges you had of writing it and feel a sense of satisfaction that, yes, it really was worth it? Oh, I mean, absolutely. There were, yeah, there were so many times I was saying to somebody the other day, you know, when I was writing this book and and combining, uh, you know, it was quite difficult research with full-time work and and then trying to you know like see friends and and go out to the pub and like have a life occasionally it was really draining and I remember like calling my best friend while I was work walking to work one day and and just being like that's it I'm gonna like even though I have no like credit history I'm gonna call the bank I'm gonna get a loan so I can pay back my advance to my publisher because like this isn't worth it Mm -hmm, (laughs) like I mm -hmm. I I don't think I can finish this book and like of course that sounds really melodramatic now but when you're so exhausted and so kind of um I don't know, it, it begins to feel like a real grind. And so it's it's pretty amazing to look back now. And, and, you know, when you're in the thick of it, writing or even editing, you don't really, you lose all objectivity, I suppose, and you don't have any sense of even whether or not it's very good or whether people might like it or whether it might resonate with people. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, you can't, not every book is for every person, but knowing that it's resonated with some people is, is huge. Uh, yes, I think we can definitely confirm it's resonated now as you have won the Miles Franklin <laughs> Award. Jennifer, I just love it. You're 31. Like in, in, when you're 62, in another whole lifetime, you'll have, I dare now predict, been a huge part, of course, of our, our literary scene, have written so much more. And I love that this will be one of those points you'll be able to still look back on it and celebrate. And I'm so excited for you and, and what this uh, means for the, for the years ahead. Jennifer down there, our Miles Franklin Award winner at just 31 years old for her book, Bodies of Light. Go and get it now. It'll be selling quite a few more copies this week, I dare say. The Snack Pack. Robin, what happened? Well, we went to the Nicholas Asprey factory, and that seemed, you know, all right for an 11-year-old. We found it interesting, and they showed us how they pressed the tablets and all the stuff that went into it. But then we got sample bags to take home. Samples of aspirin? Were that... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just sort of popping them and on the way back? <laughs> but I can remember... One of the things was that before they became individual tablets, they were sort of like a, a little a, a cylinder. It was about as big as a 20-cent piece and as deep as, oh, I don't know, I'm talking old school, inch, about an inch deep, and we all got one of those as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robert, you know, it was, it was a lesson in chemistry and economics. I'm sure yeah, you learned a great yeah. deal. Well, here it is. They said it couldn't be done. But the joke's on them because we made it through 50 episodes of the Sammy J Snackback and we are not slowing down, baby. I'll see you back here next week. Special thanks to my very special sound wizard, Christopher Hollow, this week. The man, the myth, the legend. 
Thanks to everyone who subscribes so far. Give it a rating on the App Store. Tell your friends. Or just, you know what? Enjoy it without spruiking it. Like, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. Have a great week ahead. Oh, hang on. I just told you how to live your life. Make your own mind up. Oh, I'm doing it again. Just, just, I don't know. Just go about your business in peace. And Oh, I can't stop. Oh, my gosh. I'm a monster. The ABC is so left-wing.